Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. This is again one of those feast days where I always feel utterly inundated with too much content, too many thoughts to share. So you're going to get a little bit of buckshot this morning for your homily. I hope something somewhere sticks. So the first thing I want to share is uh, when I was praying about this, the memory that came back was a few years ago, a good buddy of mine, uh, him and his wife, they were preparing to shoot the picture for their Christmas card, them and their four little kids. At that time, I think their oldest was eight and their youngest all the way down to, I think he was like two and a half, three years old. So you can imagine, two boys, two girls, eight down to two and a half, um, it was mayhem, right? So one of the things that he did, so he set up the camera on the tripod, but then what he did was he set up another camera to record, video record the whole affair. It's about 20 minutes of just crying and yelling and hair pulling and Oh, by the way, they were dressed as the, the scene from the, from the nativity. You got wise men and shepherds and kings and my crown's falling off and he pulled my veil and shepherds are getting bumped on the head with, you know, staffs and everything. It's a hilarious video. It's about 20 minutes of just mayhem. And the final product is like, I think Mary's veil is pulled half over her face. It was the best they could get. And it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. So... I love that image, I love that story, I love that video so much just because, I mean, just like you, I I mean, I get so many Christmas cards in the mail and you look at all these pictures and they are beautiful families together on the beach wearing matching white outfits, you know. It's like just pristine, idealized images and what you don't see, right, what you don't see but we, we all know is all the effort it took to get that one good image. Right? You don't hear the crying, you don't hear the fussing, you don't hear the bribery that went on to get that picture. The reality is it's a mess. Family life everywhere is a mess. It's a mess, a glorious mess. Most of our families are. And I think when we come into this feast day, the Feast of the Holy Family, there's a real temptation, especially, especially for moms, I'm not saying it can't be for dads, but especially for moms to feel this condemnation, this accusation, this shame that my family is just not really a holy family. Like, maybe you came into motherhood or fatherhood thinking like, we're going to be that family, and we pray the family rosary, the kid's kneeling the whole time, and it's glorious. And it's like, well, I don't think we've prayed a family rosary in like five years, right? That kind of thing. That there can be a real condemnation and shame about like how it is that we're living family life. I'm not doing enough or maybe we're doing too much, or maybe we're not doing the right things, or maybe there's fears that I've missed the opportunity to help my kids grow and know the Lord, right? So much pressure to get it right, to get it right. I think the problem is we have an idealized image of what a holy family ought to look like. And man, oh man, how far my personal family, your personal family falls from that ideal, right? So there's this image and then there's the reality. Here's where we need the corrective today on this Feast of the Holy Family. The Holy Family's holiness, it wasn't simply like an external reality. I know we know that, but it's important to hear it again. It wasn't just simply that they looked holy or that the neighbors thought like, man, Mary and Joe, they are holy, you know? 
There was interior realities, other factors that made them holy. And those factors, thanks be to God, those factors are all accessible to us. They're all accessible to us. I want to go through a few of them. This is not an exhaustive list, but this is just what the Holy Spirit spoke to me. The Holy Family is holy, first and foremost, because Jesus, because it has Jesus in the center. The Holy Family was holy because Jesus was the gravitational center the organizing principle of their life. Like we talk about as Catholics, the Eucharist is the source and summit of our lives. That Everything flows from the Eucharist and everything flows towards the Eucharist. Because in the final analysis, everything come down, comes down to, conduces to, do I know him? Does he know me? Does he have access to my heart? You've heard me say this before, but in the final analysis, it's not simply a matter of, was my butt in the right pew enough times before I died? Was my heart open to him? Was he the center and focal point? It's the center of holy families that Jesus is the organizing principle of their entire existence. That it's not a compartmentalized thing. That there's a realization that just like he says salt and light and leaven, we're meant to be for the world. He is for our worlds, right? Salt and light and leaven, all of those realities, they, their job is to magnify those things around them, to make those things around them better, right? Jesus, as the organizing principle of a family's life, makes everything better from soccer practice to Sunday morning. Jesus is the organizing principle. The Holy Family is holy because Secondly, of how Mary and Joseph served each other and loved each other. Right, the building block of society is the family. The, the, that's the fundamental cell of society. And the nucleus of that cell, we could say, is the relationship between husband and wife. And from the beginning, the enemy has been after that relationship. Right, Diabolane, the scatterer, that's where the name devil comes from. He wants to divide what God has joined together. And so, what makes holy families holy is that husbands and wives never take each other for granted, but continue to experience that awe and wonder and fascination that first got them to the altar in the first place. You have to fight for it. You have to fight for it. But that's essential. We hear in this letter from the Colossians that the church gives us to contemplate today, you might not be surprised to know the church gives priests a long version and a short version of this reading. The short version goes all the way till that point right where it starts to say, wives, be submissive to your husbands. That's the part where priests can be like, I'm just going to preach on a different reading today. But I always like the long versions. That part of that reading, it's very hard for our modern ears to hear. It's very hard. It's because of so many different factors, ideological factors, um, but also personal factors. Just again to clarify, submissive, from the Latin submissio, meaning beneath the mission of. Paul, again, he's always, he's not been calling for the domineering of men over women. He's calling for men to love their wives in imitation of Christ who preferred his own torturous, agonizing death 
then the beloved be degraded. He's calling husbands to a kind of love that just didn't have any precedent in the ancient world. This is revolutionary stuff. This call, husbands love your wives, wives be submissive to your husbands, it presupposes two things in particular. First, it presupposes that husbands are running after the heart of Christ. The husbands themselves are pursuing holiness, that they're working on their hearts, they're working on their relationship with Jesus, that there's repentance, ongoing conversion, deeper, deepening vulnerability, that these husbands are doing the heart work, the hard work of the heart work, and they're seeking to let Christ's love touch more and more of their own hearts and lives, that they have a prayer life, that they're listening to the Father's voice, in other words, that they are aware of their mission, which is to be a living image of the Father's love, to be a living image of the bridegroom's love. And secondly, it presupposes that he expresses outwardly his love for his beloved. She has to know that she's loved. Why else would she submit? Again, this is revolutionary stuff. This is the stuff that converted so much of the Roman Empire Women flocked to Christianity because of verses like this. And we hear it today, and through the feminist lens of, you know, politics and power struggle, and we're like, that is just garbage. That should be, as one person at my last assignment told me, Father, you have got to get that out of the Bible. I said, that's above my pay grade, lady. So, the Holy Family is holy because it did ordinary things but they did it with Jesus. Often I think families make the mistake of thinking that they'll become holy families if they have this rich devotional life. Don't get me wrong, devotions are good. But devotions do not amount to relationship. There has to first be an undergirding of relationship that makes, that's the animating principle of all of our, all of our devotions. The goal of praying the rosary is not to say 53 Hail Marys and five Our Fathers. That's not the goal. The goal is to be drawn into communion with the mystery, the person of Jesus, to contemplate, as John Paul II said, to contemplate with Mary the face of Jesus. The goal is communion. Every goal, the goal of every devotion is ultimately communion. It's not about reciting lines. The Holy Family is holy because it was normal for them to talk about God and the things of God. This isn't an accusation or a condemnation, but in your household, was it or is it normal to just talk about God and the things of God? That's holiness. And the Holy Family was holy because Jesus knew his parents' hearts and he knew their stories. Interesting thing to consider, like, could your own children, could they tell the story of your conversion? Like, perhaps they could tell the story of when you and your husband or you and your wife met each other. I'm sure they probably know that story. But do they know the story of when you met the Lord? When the Lord pierced your heart? Do they know your heart in that way? I'll say this finally, that the Holy Family was holy because there was a prioritization of the person. The 
person matters the most. Persons are always more important than things and events and outcomes and grades. Persons matter the most. So friends, on this feast day of the Holy Family, we are drawn into Nazareth with Joseph, with Mary, with Jesus, that these are our relatives. This is our inheritance, that this is what Jesus gave us on the cross and through the gift of our baptism, that by giving us a new identity through baptism, he then also gave us new relationships. Identity is identity in relationship. So you have a perfect mother. You have a perfectly heaven, perfect heavenly father. You have a brother in Jesus. It was Pope Paul VI, I believe, who said, oh, how I wish I could spend my days just being in Nazareth to be mothered again and fathered again and loved again by the Holy Family. We have that opportunity. Let us not miss the opportunity. Amen.